If you come home and see your dad like sleeping on the couch during the day in a tiny robe, that's just like, that's depression for you and him. Welcome to Cover Your Eyes Podcast. Today we're talking about Pretty in Pink from 1986. Hi, Holly. Hi, Sarah. This is one of your favorite teen movies of all time. Is that correct? Um, I would say it's my favorite teen movie of all time. How would you describe Pretty in Pink? I mean, I would say that it's a story about a girl who's from the wrong side of the tracks. They literally show the train tracks. And she is intelligent. And so she's able to get into the school that's better than what would be in the public school in her school district. They don't get into a lot of detail, but that's how it seems. And so by being there, she finds herself surrounded by more of the wealthy kids whose parents can afford to put them into this school. Um, And she always kind of feels like an outsider, but she doesn't let that change her, which is great. She still stays true to herself and just realizes that She's going to be basically ostracized by a lot of these people just because she looks poor and she makes her own clothes. (laughs) She falls in love with a boy who is like rich and he falls in love with her. They're star-crossed lovers because neither of their friends really want them to be together. And in the end, love conquers all, at least through prom. Because they really only go on one day and then kiss at prom. (laughs) Yeah, I just feel like it's a story about kind of like being a poor kid in a rich person's world, especially in the 80s. So Ducky is Andy's friend slash boy who's completely obsessed with her. And he's very eccentric, has a lot of energy, (laughs) to put it mildly. That's a nice way to say it. (laughs) He really represents the... The poor kid. Steph, who's Blaine's best friend, Andy's love interest, Blaine, his best friend, Steph, is like the rich version of Ducky. Ducky and Steph both try to cock block Andy and Blaine's relationship the whole mm-hmm. movie. So even though they're on opposite sides of the socioeconomic spectrum, they both want the same thing, which is Andy. Because everybody in this movie wants, like, Steph wants Andy. That's why he has started a, he's waged a campaign to trash her to his friend Blaine at every every opportunity. Ducky is completely obsessed with Andy. Blaine is in love with her from afar. And, you know, there's a lot of triangles in this whole movie. Yeah, so Ducky and Steph get in a fight over Andy. Everybody wants Andy. Mm-hmm. It's pretty rare to have a redhead have all these men fighting over her. No, it's she not. I'm a, just kidding. Yeah. I know you love redheads. <laughs> yeah, nobody. I've never heard of anybody liking redheads before. <laughs> and I love them too. <laughs> I always have felt like I would identify... Definitely, if I had to choose, I would identify with Andy. Mm-hmm. Like, no one in our town was really that rich, but there were, like, richer people in our town. 
even though they weren't rich, like to me, they felt rich. And like, I didn't live on a side of the tracks, but I lived on a different side of the main street in town, which I kind of view as like a metaphorical tracks. Really? Yeah. On the other side of the street on Madison Avenue is where like all the houses got nicer and the park is there. All the big, nice houses are around the park and all of the blocks branching out from that. All the houses are nicer. And on my side of Madison Avenue, all the houses were like smaller and older and not as nice. I never thought about it. Yeah. Um, I would feel that. And I was like, I guess we were poor at some points in my life, but I didn't really like feel that poor. But I knew that like I couldn't we had to be like careful what we bought. Mm-hmm. And like uh, we would just buy everything from like Kmart and other people were like buying their clothes from the mall or like nicer stores. And so I kind of definitely would like identify with the Andy feeling of feeling like you're the poor kid. You're not like destitute, but you're not like dressing as nice as the other kids. And you don't have like a nice new car like the other kids and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The When you watched Pretty in Pink when you were a kid, did did you feel relieved to see a girl represented like you in a way that you identified with? Or were you not aware of that yet? Was that something you just like gained aware- awareness of later? No, I mean, I think I w- always would feel like, okay, obviously I wouldn't be at um, Steph's party. <laughs> like, I think even as like an eight-year-old, <laughs> I knew that like I would not be there. I wouldn't be invited, you know, mm-hmm. I think like already at that age, you have a sense of like, of what's going on of like economics, you know, of like mm-hmm. this person has like a Nike backpack and I have like mm-hmm. a Walmart backpack. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's already in your consciousness. So, yeah, I mean, I was glad to see Andy triumph at the end and not let them break her. She just stays true to herself every time and people do comment on her clothes mm-hmm. as like uh benny stuff's girlfriend is like like oh did you get that at the five and dime mm-hmm. <laughs> you poor kid you don't have any money it's like what benny is really saying which is like oh, i was fortunate to be born into a family where my mommy and daddy have a lot of money. Therefore, I'm better than you for no other reason than I was born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you put it like that, Benny, you sound like an asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's what I would get. Like, I guess, you know, whenever you've talked about uh, class awareness, like when you're, when we're growing up. Yeah. I'm like, that's so strange because I've never thought. I like never had any awareness of like your family's like money situation or like that you felt like if you felt like you didn't have as much or, or any of that stuff. Yeah. You know? And so I was kind of like, Oh, this is really interesting that not that I wasn't aware of class issues. It just wasn't something that I thought about in relation to like my friendships Mm -hmm. and I felt like our grade school 
had a lot of different socioeconomic levels. Yes. Which was awesome because we got we got a really good foundation that a lot of kids don't get. Yeah, I know. Like our town, there was no like super wealthy people. We weren't like Blaine and stuff level of wealthy people in our town. But just with a comparison, it felt like people were wealthier. And like if your house was like a solid two story house, I thought you were basically like the president or something. Nana always taught me that like if I acted rich, that I would Mm -hmm. be. It's kind of weird. (laughs) She would like tell me stuff like that, but she wouldn't implement any of it herself, but she would knock out like wisdom to me. And I'm, and I'm like, that is so fucking smart. And like, even and now I'll be like, man, she like gives some words to live by. And then I'm like, and she didn't follow any of it. Andy, okay, so whenever Andy goes and we realize that she works at a record store mm-hmm. with the coolest boss in the world, when I when I first laid eyes on Iona as a child, I was like, this is who I want to be like. Yeah. Grow up. What and was it about her that you feel like you identified with and stayed true to? Well, she still plays dress up. Yes. Which has never not been near and dear to my heart. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember a time when I didn't play dress up. Mm-hmm. And it's just very important to me. I got dressed up almost every day during COVID and I never left my house. To see her still doing that through the movie is really pretty great. And also, it's just Annie Potts and I love her pretty much in anything she does. Um, she has a record store. I mean, I know I loved music. Still love music. I have, that's the other thing. I kind of have a record store in my house. The people that the women that appealed to me when I was a child were all sort of like punk. And I was like, I think like, I think, I think I was like a little punker when I was a kid. <laughs> like that's the kind of thing I was drawn to. So that's pretty cool. That is. So you stayed true to Iona without realizing it. And mm-hmm. you became Linda from Fast Times at Ridgemont High yeah. without realizing it. That's great. These people were like your movie role models that you emulated mm-hmm. throughout life without like consciously doing it. Yeah. 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 That's great. yeah. But now looking back, it's like, oh my gosh, these things, these characters were implanted in my mm-hmm. mind as like a blueprint. Yeah. Like a blueprint for living. That's great. That shows you just like how impactful these movies are when you're a kid. And so it's important that you see mm-hmm. some material that gives you like good options and positive options. Um, as to like how to view the world and how to carry yourself through the world. And you found those in each movie. And so that's something that's like interesting too, is like you already probably were like had the blueprint for who you were going to become. And so that helped you like gravitate toward these people who resonated with you. Mm -hmm. And then they just kind of gave you like more ideas and more vision of how to carry that through as Mm -hmm. you grew. 
And someone else might have gravitated towards Benny and just been like, I'm going to be a huge bitch when I grow up and then used her as a role model. You know what? I'm just going to say it. Benny and Steph are fucking hot. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jesus. Like, they are hot. They don't like, look like they're in high school. Oh, my God. No, they look like they're like 27. I know. They like, look I like they're they really were. They look like they just flunked out of grad school, but they still crash all the frat parties. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how they act, too. I mean, they dress like they just left a corporate luncheon and came to high school. Did people actually dress like that in high school in the 80s? I mean, in like a full suit. It seems extreme. I feel like stuff was an anomaly at the time. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, he was somebody that was like, whoa, we have not seen this teenager before. Um, I don't think that that was normal to show someone being so sophisticated and just acting like a jaded 30 year old. Mm -hmm. Steph is simultaneously poisonous and clinging to the people that he's mistreating. (laughs) It's like reeks of severe abandonment issues. Yeah. And he's been thrown into this culture as a, uh, entitled man, boy, stuff embodies the yuppie vision beauty. And they show him being rejected. They show Ducky being rejected. And we see how how Ducky and stuff both feel entitled to Andy because they want her. Mm -hmm. I want you. Therefore you need to give me you because I want you. And it's like, they're trying to suckle the teat of Andy because Andy's everybody's mom, especially to her own father. So, and maybe she even is a little bit to blame because she's like, Hey, you need to, you need to step up and quit being a follower. That's like a weird, creepy dad who's like follows Blaine around everywhere. Like stuff's like always just sort of like pops out from behind a corner. <laughs> he does. Like, what are you doing, Blaine? Uh-huh. You're right. And- he is always just kind of lurking. He's like, what were you doing? I saw you out there in the back. Because he'd just been like looking out the window from inside the hallway at school. Steph was stalking Andy mm-hmm. and noticed, hey, that's why. Why the fuck is Blaine showing up? That's right, what happened. Because he knew that Andy always sat out there. Uh-huh. So he was just like creeping on her. And then he saw yeah. Blaine show up. Oh my gosh, you're right. But he feels like he's entitled to her. It's so common. Yeah, and he just feels like, oh, well, I'm like one of the rich, popular kids, so you should just definitely want to be with me. It's a given. And so when she doesn't, then he can't handle that. All it takes is one person to make their the people in their group think this thing about you that isn't right. true, you know. And the difference, though... And this is like always true with bullies. And part of the reason that Andy gets under stuff's skin so bad is that Andy knows that 
all of these like class bullies are full of it, that they're being stupid and immature. And she's like completely above it and it hurts, but it doesn't hurt because she believes them. It hurts because she doesn't like it when people hurt each other. She is hurt by cruelty. Like that's what I get from her. Maybe I'm projecting myself onto Andy. <laughs> like the way that she reacts, like she does not give bullies what they want usually. You right. know, they want a reaction of like she doesn't give them that even when she's feeling it. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, I'm not giving you the satisfaction of like you think you can control me in some way and that's bullshit and that's her her operating principle is like i have an internal compass that i trust and i follow it and i was like wow that's like embroider that on a pillow (laughs) it's beautiful andy has like such a sense of self and like so much wisdom and poise for a high school senior where did that come from that's something I would aspire to from watching a movie, but I don't think I ever gained like that much <laughs> self-assuredness or a confidence in just knowing of myself. Probably still, I don't think I'm as confident or self-assured as Andy. I haven't been confident most of my life um, in like really deep fundamental ways that were obstructing living my life to the or whatever and it's like where life just turns into coping and not thriving so Mm -hmm. which is what's happening to her father to andy's father yeah but he's not even coping he's just he's this guy is so fucking depressed and he's self-medicating with beer you know as a child i just remember thinking that like you know her dad was like a sad lonely kind of disturbing figure Mm -hmm. not feeling great about it and I remember thinking like when I think back on this movie I always think like her dad was an alcoholic Mm -hmm. but then watching it this time I don't ever remember seeing any alcohol anywhere I just felt like he was an alcoholic and they never showed him drinking so now I just feel like he had like major depressive disorder or something I think he drink wait I think he did he did drink when he was he, talking with Ducky. Yeah, he did. And it was during the day. So the implication is that he drinks right, beer. Right, 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 right. But I think he's using alcohol to self-medicate <laughs> depression, which is basically like if you were a guy in the 80s, like, yeah, you don't get depression. Okay. That's for no. like weirdos and you need to snap out of it. You just have a Budweiser deficiency. You're not depressed. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so, yeah, that's weird though. Cause like I just remember thinking he was like a, a horrible, like raging alcoholic. Mm-hmm. But the, watching it again, they don't even really emphasize that. It's just like slightly implied from him drinking during the day, mm-hmm. but he's just like chilling out with Ducky and he's mm-hmm. got a cooler. But you don't see, like, bottles around the house or he's not, like, she's not always giving him, like, hangover remedies or anything. He's never drunk. Yeah, he's never drunk. So, I mean, really looking at it now, it just mainly looks like symptoms of depression. But I always just thought he was an alcoholic. I think his robe. The robe. Is a symptom of depression. Definitely. 
And it also, okay, so up until two years ago, I was really weirded out by robes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I started living up in the mountains a little bit. And it's a lot colder up there in the winter. So I like caved and I got a fuzzy robe. (laughs) And I really love it now. But when I was watching this movie, I was like, oh, I distinctly remember being freaked out by her dad's robe in this movie. (laughs) And like, I think that had a huge impact on me of making me kind of scared of robes. Do robes cause depression? And I was like, afraid that she was going to see her dad's testicles because he's wearing those tiny short robes just laying on the couch oh my god what's the point of those robes i mean i think they quit making them after the 80s but it's like those robes it's a robe that barely even covers your ass it's like what purpose is this serving but it's warm but your legs are all freezing and exposed maybe it's for people that um have all of the blood go to their legs something they're like only ever freezing on the upper half of their body yeah like Hmm. this is what depression looks like in real life yeah and the robe like matched the couch so he was just literally like blending into the couch so her dad had like um you know a mental illness and sounds like her mom did too what would that be where her mom just like never attached to her Oh, just well, like, I mean, who knows, you know? I know. I wanted to look that up. That I mean, might not be a mental illness. It's just like maybe she just didn't want to be a mom and then she got pregnant and then was like, I cannot do this anymore. Yeah. I mean, it could be like, like, oh, I have two children and I can't take care of either one of them because her because her husband, this depression he's in. I think that it's implied that like. He's not just depressed because his wife left. He was depressed Mm -hmm. before. And he blames himself. And so now he's even deeper in the depression hole than he was before. Mm -hmm. This movie also was very terrifying because it was the first time. Sure, sure. I had known since I was like four years old that. Your dad might kill you with an ice pick, but I didn't know that your mom could leave Mm. until this movie. Wow. And that freaked me the fuck out because I knew my mom was not happy with my dad. So like after I saw this movie, as much as I love this movie, anytime she would like come home later than normal. I would like kind of freak out a little bit and be and think about this movie and be like, oh my God, am I going to be living with just my dad? Like, are we going to turn into, you know, wow, like, are we going to turn into that family in a way mm-hmm. of like her just being gone one day? And so I thought about it all the time. And at this time when I was watching it, when Andy's talking to her dad about, about the mom, their mom, uh, it's like, she says like, you know, I knew since I was five, Mm -hmm. like I knew there was something about my mom 
that I couldn't keep, I couldn't like, there's something about my mom. I can't find safety in. Yeah. And I know it should be there, but it isn't. So it must be me, you know, because like little kids always blame themselves for things. Right. So there's that like deep sadness, you know, and Andy, but then that and, and like a deep rejection and the rejection was already there before the mom even left. So maybe in a way it was more even like a relief mm-hmm. when she did leave. Cause it's like, well now at least the thing I always was scared of happening has finally happened. So that like tension can drop. Exactly. And then she's seeing like the model of her dad of being completely stuck in a loop of needing someone else's approval to like live their life. Andy's the one that's saying, I'm going to live my life for my own approval because I know that any of you guys could leave at any time. And the only person I can trust to truly invest in myself is me. You have these other people like Stuff and Benny who obviously have serious attachment issues and neglect with their parents. And it's, it's really sad to look at it when I was a kid and I would watch this, I would see Steph and Benny as just horrible, mean people Mm -hmm. who are really hot. So that's confusing. (laughs) And then, um, but now I'm just seeing how Steph's parents are never around. Yeah. And they don't give a shit to such an extent that he can just trash their house. Mm-hmm. And they're, he knows he's not going to get in trouble for it. That's how much they don't care about him. That's like a lot of not caring. Yeah. Benny has no respect for her mom. So we don't really know what's going on with Benny, but clearly she feels like incredibly inferior because she has to like knock, she has to knock Andy down. But also I'm sure she knows that her boyfriend has a crush on Andy and that he's like watching her and lurking from afar. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, is probably, do you think he, she knew? I think that's the real reason she's a target. And Glass is like the button you push okay. to hurt her. Like they're, we're dealing with a, a level of wealth that in 1986, Benny was shopping with her mom in the dress section of a department store where the dresses cost $650 in 1986 money. Oh, yeah. So that's like I think like fourteen thousand around, around fourteen thousand dollars or something. Did you say fourteen thousand? I'm sorry, fourteen hundred dollars today. <laughs> so like, <laughs> who buys a fourteen hundred dollar dress for their daughter to go to prom, as opposed to Andy, whose dad brings home a prom dress for her that is pink and very lacy. And it kind of looks like maybe her dad, like, 
got it at a flea market or knew somebody that had a wife and was like, hey, you got any extra (laughs) fancy dresses (laughs) hanging around? Like it wasn't like it was a real expensive dress to begin with. So these are the contrasts we're getting. It's so sweet how Andy's dad probably spent whatever money he had saved up. Maybe he worked at a job for one day and he spaced out and he got fired, you know, that he was like, just wanted to do this one special thing for his daughter, you know, and he's so sad. He's just so sad. If he was a woman, we'd cut him more slack and we'd see that he was very depressed. Mm -hmm. But as a, as a man in the eighties, you're just an alcoholic. You're just a lazy guy. That's a couch potato. On and on. I mean, his robe was even like russet color. Like potato a skin. potato, couch potato. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Andy's dad might not be able to provide financially for her, but he gives her emotional support that, like, I don't feel like I ever had solid, like, that level of solid emotional support. Mm-hmm. from a parent especially not my dad so seeing Andy like so centered and like assured of herself in a way that most everyone else in this movie is not is like you can see where she gets it from because mm-hmm. her dad believes in her so completely and loves her so unconditionally You know, so even though he can't provide, it's like he is providing like this fundamental like heart frequency that she needs to know her own truth. And that's really beautiful. It is. And yeah, so it's in like stark contrast to Steph's family who's providing all of the money, but none of the emotional support. And then there's Ducky who doesn't have either. Ducky doesn't have emotional support from a parent nor financial support. Right. All he has is Andy. He, I did not like Ducky when I was a little kid. Hmm. How did you feel about Ducky when you were a kid? I liked his look, mm-hmm. but I didn't really like him until the end. And I think it was the, kind of the same this time. Mm-hmm. Me too. As a kid, I didn't like, I mean, I guess he was probably the most entertaining, the most visually entertaining of the movie, besides Iona, who was my favorite. As a kid, I just um, liked his clothes, didn't really love him, but I didn't realize as much why. And then like watching it as an adult, you realize he's just like a stalker. When I saw Pretty in Pink as a kid, I was just like, Ducky's annoying. Like, (laughs) but when I saw it as an adult, I just thought about how neglected he is and how desperate he is to be accepted for himself. So I had a, I had a new patience with Ducky Mm. that I never had before. So Ducky is standing in front of two girls at school and he says, Mm. either one or both of you could be pregnant by the holidays. Yeah. And like, that's kind of our first impression. 
And so it makes it, and I know he's just like male posture, like posturing and in movies, especially of like, oh, you know, the insecure guy is going to like go out of his way to be like a pig. Ducky's smart. He knows that if he talks to girls like that, they're going to reject him. But then he can say, well, they're not really rejecting me. They're just rejecting the fact that I was like talking to them like a jerk and they can't take a joke. Mm. He can deflect his anticipated rejection. Exactly. That gave me more patience with him. Still, it's excessive. He's riding his bike down Andy's up and down Andy's street over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> daily. Yeah. So it's so funny when he's like out with Iona after Andy's like rejected him, quote unquote, and gone on a date with Blaine. And so he's out with Iona to comfort himself. And he's like, if I really like a girl, I'll ride up and down her street on my bike a hundred times. It's pretty intense. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that is intense and scary. And then, yeah, later they show him just like circling around in front of her house. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. He seems harmless, but I feel like that behavior could turn. There was an original ending to Pretty and Alternate ending? Yeah, the original ending is that Ducky and Andy end up together. What? And Blaine is just like at the prom with some other chick. They show the movie and the test audience fucking hates it. <laughs> These girls are pissed. Uh-huh. I like to imagine a bunch of teenage girls like breaking the mirror glass where John Hughes and the producers are like observing their response after the movie. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's just being like pure teenage girl anarchy. <laughs> they had to reshoot the prom scene. Initially, Robert Downey Jr. was slated to play Ducky. What? And Charlie fucking Sheen was envisioned for Blaine. Oh, my gosh. Now, if those were the actors, obviously, the original ending of Ducky and Andy ending up together is perfect. Yes. And that's a completely different story. It's a completely Mm -hmm. different movie. But as it stands with the actors that are in this movie, I am super duper happy that (laughs) Blaine and Andy ended up together. Just because you think Andrew McCarthy's cuter? Uh, No, because I think Ducky is completely fucking obnoxious and has no boundaries and is a nightmare Mm -hmm. to be around. And I've been around people who like are all over the place and they just like constantly demand attention. He's kind of like a toddler. Like Ducky's like a toddler. Andrew McCarthy Blaine has kind of boring, but at least like you could go out with him and he's not going to just like constantly be begging for your every last ounce of attention. Mm -hmm. He's clearly introverted and he's probably been best friends with, Stuff since he was a child and you know stuff has just taken a horrible turn and blaine hasn't had time to catch up with who stuff is now 
because he's because Blaine's still viewing mm-hmm. stuff through the lens of like when they were 11 or 12 or something. You know? Yeah, I think you're right about that. And so Andy like is a catalyst for him to see the truth of mm-hmm. how people grow up and grow apart. Andy also helps Ducky grow by standing her ground and holding boundaries for him because mm-hmm. clearly his parents neglect him. Andy and Iona, they they keep accepting him. Like they they make space for him and they witness him needing approval mm-hmm. and attention and acting out. But also they have boundaries with him and they let him know when he crosses that boundary. And that's why he's acting out because he's looking for a mom to tell him, no, you can't do that. This is the container I'm providing for you to feel safe. Ultimately, that's why Ducky doesn't feel threatening the way that he could if he was played by even Robert Downey Jr. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. could make Ducky real fucking creepy. Honestly. Oh, yeah. He, I find him to be irritating, but not threatening, even though on paper, the behaviors he's displaying are like incredibly threatening. <laughs> it's looking. True. But he's also like admitting it innocently. And it, and every time he does that, like whenever he tells, whenever he says like, oh, I just drive by their house like a hundred times, <laughs> you know, he's, he's like making a joke because he makes fun of himself with jokes. But then it's also like, I felt like he was, he was daring Iona to say, that's not how you get a girl. And I bet she had a talk with him. After he had his little temper tantrum, because then Andy and Blaine go on one of the most tense movie dates I've ever seen. Yeah. It starts out with him basically insulting her outfit. (laughs) You need to go home and change. I know. But I mean, he should know what he's getting. He sees how she dresses at school. It's like grandma chic a lot of the time with Andy. It was tense. And intense. It's like for your very first date, are you sure you want to take her like into the throes of it, like to your friend's party when your whole resistance to this relationship is knowing that your friends are snobs and classist, but you're going to take her right into the hornet's nest. Blaine is out to prove a point that he's not a fucking snob. His first step at independence from stuff is to okay. declare that he is not a snob like the rest of the Richies are, as they call them in this movie. Right. So by taking him to this part of that party, it's like, so I feel like that's what he was trying to convey to her. But he's a teenage boy who has never really asserted himself in his life. They were both really hesitant about this relationship even working because she's like i hate your friends quite frankly that's smart to be like hey all your friends are assholes (laughs) what does this say about you and i i feel like i used to give him more shit uh that he didn't call her back and that he was like basically like caved to stuff snobbery and also his mom, because you know he got in trouble. 
for taking her to the stables. Right. So he got in trouble and then stuff was probably over and, and you know, Blaine's mom loves stuff because stuff's like <laughs> a Eddie Haskell kind of guy. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. So then Steph and, Steph and Blaine's mom gang up on Blaine. Blaine gets in trouble. Then his mom's like, see, you're dating this girl from the wrong side of the tracks. And you only go on one date and you're already in trouble. Mm-hmm. So that's a bad what, influence. It's great that he wanted to make a stand and show that he's not like the others. But I guess I just have to give him slack that he was like an 18 year old boy in that he did it in the wrong way of like basically making Andy like a sacrificial lamb for him to have his moment, his like coming out party of I'm not a snob like you. And then Mm -hmm. she had to bear the brunt of it. Mm -hmm. So he could have gone about it a different way. (laughs) At the end of the date, then Andy is like, doesn't want him to drop her off at home, even though the date's not going well. Mm -hmm. And she kind of wants to go home, but she doesn't want him to be dropped off there. I definitely was like, I feel identify with that too, because I feel like my house, especially like later in my life when I was Mm -hmm. like dating people in college and even with like Dan, like my house isn't that nice and it's often very messy now. Mm -hmm. And so I'd always be like very nervous of anyone coming to my house. And I remember feeling like nervous the first time that like my college boyfriend came there of being like, oh my God, is he going to think that I'm like poor and is he going to hate my house? Mm-hmm. And then Dan, because like Dan's family has a lot of money and they had a nice house. And I was mm-hmm. like super self-conscious of him like coming and seeing my house too. So I've definitely had like Andy moments in that regard too. I guess I have strong Andy vibes in the financial sense. Well, it <laughs> But makes- I want Iona yeah. vibes. <laughs> But I mean, it makes sense though, too, because when you're a kid, you don't have control over how much money you have access to unless you get a job. And that's pretty limited when you're a teenager, you know? And yeah, I started waitressing when I was like 15. Yeah. And before that, you don't have any control mm-hmm. over how much money your parents have. So, so there's this like weird. Um, out of control feeling about it too yeah it's out of my hands but I'm still going to be judged for it and it's like it's it's true the other time in my life where I felt andied and like Mm -hmm. so I was probably like 12 just a few years after seeing this movie for the first time and I'm sure I saw it again around that time but so my junior high boyfriend who you know who um would be like probably a member of the young republicans do you know who i'm talking about i'll dm you yes exactly yeah so he's like that's a perfect example of someone who no one or a town was like super rich but his family would have been like i considered them rich and i remember they had a phone in their bathroom which i thought was like amazing <laughs> there's a phone by their oh toilet God. and i was like wow this is living <laughs> So he was like my boyfriend, but I always felt like 
oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm dating this person who like lives in this neighborhood and like Mm -hmm. has this nicer house. Mm -hmm. And I felt like self-conscious about it. And I'm sure that he never saw my house. Like I'm sure that's someone who I would be like, no, I will be dropped off at your house or I'll meet you at the movies. Cause his family owned like nursing homes or something. So they had like decent money. Yeah. Nursing homes or funeral homes or something. And I was just like, ooh, they own something. They're like rich and amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. I've seen him at his dad's golf clubs. Yeah, we were over there together. Yeah. I'm sure we talked about the toilet phone. <laughs> but yeah, just like, oh, his dad golfs. So then for me, it was like a dad that golfs. Like that's a whole other level. Like that's like, that's yeah, a John that's a- Hughes dad. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, not in that level of family or house or hobby or activity. Mm-hmm. And so I had like self-conscious feelings about that. And um, yeah. yeah, that's how I identified with that movie. I didn't really experience that mm-hmm. uh, much until I was, but I think I didn't experience it. Like when you were talking about that, I was like, well, that guy was a total snob. He was a snob. And he was just like one of the meanest people I've ever met in my he life, was. quite frankly. There was one time I was dating somebody and their family had um, a lot of wealth and but he came over to my parents' house and I was like, wow, he's a snob. Like I realized that he was a snob because, you know, he, he like went to a boarding school and, you know, his parents lived in like the richest neighborhood in the city, you know, that we Mm -hmm. lived by and like all this stuff. And so even though I didn't feel like he was judging, he wasn't judging me like, oh, well, she's not as good as I am. But he was judging me in the sense of like, oh, I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that you were just middle class. That (laughs) must have been so sad. Like that was like kind of the underlying tone. Yeah. And I was like, that is weird Mm -hmm. because you hate your dad. (laughs) <laughs> and you hate his profession. <laughs> but yet it's like so baked in that he's still going to feel pity for me because my par- I didn't grow up in a house that was, you know, 20 cold, sterile rooms mm-hmm. where no one talked to each other. <laughs> okay. Do you want to hear about the dress? Yes. Tell me why Andy's dress was so god awful ugly. Okay. So everybody knows that that Andy's prom dress is one of the ugliest dresses in history. <laughs> I I found this quote from Molly Ringwald where she says, "Oh my God, that dress! That is one thing in the film I won't take responsibility for." I remember thinking at the time. That it was really funny because Andy wants to be a fashion designer and she makes that dress. Pick a new career, Andy. That's what Molly Ringwald had to say about Andy's dressmaking abilities. (laughs) (laughs) Really cute. Um, So Blaine is obviously not going to be taking her to the prom. And (laughs) so she's like, screw it. I'm going to the prom anyway. 
And so she gets Iona's uh, prom dress and she's got her dad's prom dress. Okay. So she's got an old prom her dress. Her dad's prom dress. The old prom dress is like, she like takes that and she's, there's this whole like montage where she's like designing the dress, which heavily influenced me. And I was like, oh, I'm going to design my own clothes. Mm-hmm. And then I quickly realized I can't draw people. <laughs> that was very <laughs> disheartening. <laughs> well, um, the sketch for her dress just started out as two like straight parallel lines, like rectangle. I'm like, it can't go anywhere good from here. No. If your dress design starts as like a rectangle. Andy took those two dresses and she's really sad because she lost Ducky, her best friend, Ducky. Mm-hmm. And now, so she's lost Ducky and she's lost Blaine and she's going it alone for the first time. And she's making this dress. And basically what she's doing is she's taking all of her sadness and grief and putting it into the process of making this dress for the prom. So the whole time she's like, the dress is the finished product reflects her inner emotional landscape. So of course the end product is going to be terrible because she's (laughs) a teenager and the, what, and it's really like, I, I have a, I have some sewing experience And it is way hard, in my opinion, it's way harder to make something brand new out of like two dresses that already exist than it is to just get some fabric. Mm -hmm. So I actually really love that her dress is hideous because I think it's like (laughs) true to being a teenager, but then it's also, it's really like the prom dress of sorrow, but she is at, she actually transmutes her grief and sadness through the process of making the dress. And then when she gets there, like a magic spell, she's got Ducky's approval. And Blaine is like, I was an idiot and I love you. Mm -hmm. And thank you for showing me that I was being a dummy. And Ducky is like, this is an incredibly romantic moment and you're ruining it for me. (laughs) So when Andy's like, I don't know if I should go with Blaine or not. So because she kind of wants Ducky's approval. So she I just feel like the dress works as a magic spell. And it, and it's a good example of if you have an enjoyable creative outlet that you can access magic. She also like united these two different ways. Like she united this modern 80s prom dress and this 50s prom dress. It's kind of like Ducky and Blaine coming together as well at the end of the movie. So like through the creation of this hideous Mm. prom dress, she's bringing together people and I like it. Beautiful. They made it realistic. Like a teenager really might've made it (laughs) like two days before her prom. Right. (laughs) While she's crying the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, they got that part right. So I love this movie. I know, it's good. I still like 16 Candles better. Mm -hmm. That was just like my movie that I watched more. And 
Well, also, like, I was already into, I already wanted to be a fashion designer when I saw this movie. So the fact that there was this, like, really cool girl that got, like, the cutest boy in school and (laughs) also was going to be a fashion designer, I was like, oh, this is great. (laughs) This is the movie for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Also, Ducky ends up. With Buffy, the original Buffy, oh the vampire slayer. God, is that who that was? Kristen Swanson. Oh my god! Yeah, like baby Kristen Swanson. That was her. Mm-hmm. Okay, yay! I thought yeah. she looked familiar. I'm like, oh, she must just be in other '80s movies. Yeah, that's. I was amazing. like Buffy and Ducky. <laughs> oh, how sweet! <laughs> now he has someone else to stalk. Yeah. Hopefully, she doesn't mind. <laughs> yeah. It's not stalking if you like it <laughs> back. <laughs> Isn't that what rom-coms are all about? That's true. It's not stalking if he's cute. Exactly. Also, uh, just to give you an update on where Stuff and Benny end up. A MAGA rally? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Benny wants to stay at the prom and Steph wants to go to the hotel room that he rented. She was like, have you seen the suite? And he was like, it's $300 a night. Like, it's the best I could do or something. Like, I thought he was saying it in a way of like that it's shitty because it's only $300 a night. Well, Benny and Steph are going to be at a shitty $300 a night (laughs) hotel room. Which mm-hmm. is disgusting. I mean, like, Ew. there's probably roaches. Mm-hmm. Um, it is like 1986. So that room today would be $743.69. Oh my God. Oh, wow. They're really slumming it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have something. It's sort of a continuation. Well, there's two things that relate back to Flashdance from last week. Okay. One is that Jennifer Beals was offered the part of Andy in <gasps> Pretty in Pink. What? Yeah, which I found out after I was like, do you want to watch Pretty in Pink this week? Wow. Yeah. But here's the thing. Jennifer Beals was like, I'm going to Yale right now, so I don't really have time to act in a John Hughes movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. So. Jennifer Beals is pretty interesting. That is an interesting choice. I think it's pretty smart. I don't know that it was smart. Because Yale will always be there, but John Hughes movie won't, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like those people who their kids have the chance to become athletes pro athletes like out of high school or in Mm. college and they're like you need to finish college and it's Mm -hmm. like college will still be there but your athletic skills will not you know like yeah now and then go to college later right five years from now it's fine people do it all the time look at Rodney Dangerfield exactly (laughs) have you not seen back to school people College will still be there. Take this like once in a lifetime opportunity first. Maybe after she uh, was in Flashdance, she was like, boy, that that was a little icky. Yeah, she needed to cleanse. 
I feel like Andy would have been in a good like redemption role, mm-hmm. but it might have been hard to buy her in that. I don't. You know? I wouldn't have bought it. Mm-mm. I'm I'm really happy. I'm just so like knowing the ways that it almost was. I feel like I'm really happy with the way that it turned out. Yes. Um. The other matter concerning Flashdance um, that I wanted to get into before we sign off today is uh, Polish jokes. I did a little <gasps> Wikipedia research. Okay. So. This took me a good three minutes. Well, I appreciate it. I said I was going to do it and I didn't. (laughs) Polish jokes. Where the hell did they come from? So, okay. In from at least the 18th century, Polish people were going into Germany and the German people were like, you're different. You're from a new, from another place. Like get out of here. And so they would, they told Polish jokes, like cultures all around the world have like their own version of a Polish joke, mm-hmm. fill in the blank of the person, right? Then the Nazis come to power. Mm. And so they start using propaganda in the form of Polish jokes. Oh How clever. Gosh. It's funny. But we're also totally degrading a group of people for an arbitrary reason so that we can justify killing them. Um, in the U.S., there was a influx of Polish people like in the early to mid-1800s, I believe. In the 1960s, Polish jokes suddenly become very popular in the U.S. culture. It's not till the 1960s, though. All in the Family, The Tonight Show, and Laughing are three shows that would feature Polish jokes on the regular. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other shows too. There was an influx of German immigrants around the late 50s, 60s. Oh. So some people theorize that maybe that was that accounts for like some kind of weird uptick in Polish jokes. Mm-hmm. That's the theory. Um, apparently there's a documentary that explores the whole Polish show phenomena. Oh my gosh. It's called Polak, which yes. is not a term that I was using, <laughs> um, <laughs> by James Kenny. So that's the documentary. I totally want to watch this. And then also here, here's a theory that I find to be very interesting. So it addresses Hollywood's quote-unquote, backward Polak problem. Okay, Mm. so the Polish are against the Soviets. Mm -hmm. The Soviets, like, taken over their country. But in Hollywood in the 40s and 50s and 60s, there were a lot of, like, left-wing, communist-leaning people. There was, like, a deeply embedded, like, uh, Polish prejudice. That's a theory too, mm-hmm. of why it flourished in Hollywood. So really like Hollywood is like a propaganda machine. That seems like very conspiratorial. So I don't late culprits of the Polish joke are not, no surprise here. The Drew Carey show in the early two thousands. They did a lot. Uh, yeah. And um. then 
Jimmy Kimmel in what? 2013. He did? So the, according to Wikipedia, this is all according to my three minutes of research mm-hmm. on Wikipedia. So that's what that's what I found out about Polish jokes. And guess what? They're rooted in arbitrary prejudices that have nothing to do with any people that mm-hmm. possess those arbitrary traits that are exactly. being judged. Wow. Thank you for looking that up. Because yeah. I just remember it always being like part of the culture in childhood of just always hearing like stupid Polish jokes and stuff. And it's yeah. like, why? Where is this coming from? Yeah. And it's died down, I would say, I guess, yeah. except for Jimmy Kimmel in 2013. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. I haven't heard a Polish joke in a long time. No, until I watch Flashdance again. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Thank you so much for your research. Oh, you're welcome. That's also just like a little bit of a, a sampler of what you get with the after show. I would say for this week that. The question would be, like, have you ever dated someone that was richer than you or poorer than you? Yes. Yes, in a significant way. And did you feel self-conscious about it? Did it even occur to you? Was it an issue at all? Did people around you make it an issue? What was it like? I mean, you heard about how I dated a boy who had a telephone in the bathroom and that blew my mind and made me feel inferior. So what was it like for you? Um, Tell us at coverizepodcast at gmail.com or you can DM us on Instagram or Twitter. Um, Do you have a favorite quote? No. I think you kind of said one already, what Andy said. If someone doesn't believe in me, I don't believe in them. Yes. That is my favorite quote. I think most of mine probably came from Iona and like when Andy was talking about whether or not she was going to go to the prom and she was like, I don't know if I should go because it's just a stupid tradition. And then Iona's like, isn't life just a stupid tradition? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yes, Iona. That was mine. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Cover Your Eyes podcast. We love it when you subscribe, rate, and review. You can also visit our store on Redbubble at Cover Your Eyes podcast. On Patreon, we've got an after party every week where we tell all our secrets and answer the movie mysteries that keep you up at night. It's twice the melodrama and double the fun. Find it on patreon.com backslash cover your eyes. Oh, don't forget, if you have your own memories of this movie, let us know. Email us at coveryoureyespodcast at gmail.com. You just have a Budweiser deficiency. You're not depressed.